Welcome, and thank you for listening to this episode of Leaps and Bounds. I'm your host, Tom Bash, and I'm thrilled to be bringing you conversations with some of the most successful CEOs, sales leaders, and home improvement professionals. When I started in this industry 20 years ago, tearing off roofs, I had no idea about what went into making a home improvement business successful. Now, having met with thousands of contractors, helping them adopt technology, and watching them grow, I'm excited to invite them on to share what's made them successful, what they're doing today to stay ahead of their competition, and the advice they have for others. On today's episode, I'm joined by Chad Castrilli, sales manager at New Look Home Design. Chad's been at this for over 15 years, honing his craft and training others. From his days of knocking on doors to the humbling moment he realized he needed to be in the field. Through his experience, we'll discuss some best practices for in-home selling, his thoughts on being a selling sales manager, and the best method for training sales reps. We'll also dive into creating a stronger contract by something Chad describes as giving back the win, asking for referrals, and the benefits of transparency. Well, as you've come to expect, I'm excited to talk with Chad, so let's go. Hey, Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, I want to give our listeners a uh, a brief overview of, of, of who you are. Obviously, you know, you've been at New Look for a long time, uh, but love to catch our listeners up to, to how you got started in the industry and uh, what you do today at New Look. Sure, sure. So um, prior to New Look, um, which would be about 16 years ago now, I was working at a, a local pool store testing um, water um, and giving customers recommendations on you know, how to fix their, their water problem in their pool or their hot tub. And I think that was my first true face-to-face, you know, um, customer uh, service experience. And I uh, ended up moving on from that position. It's actually the only job I've ever been fired from, but um, that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> and uh, a girl I went to high school with called me and said, hey, I, I work for this company called New Look, and they're hiring for... Um, I think what they used to call the position, uh, um, outside sales or radius marketing or something creative. It was canvassing is what it was. Catchy. It's catchy. Right. Yeah. (laughs) For some reason, the word canvassing wasn't very appealing to people. And I I still don't (laughs) think it is, but, um, so whatever creative title they were using, she was telling me, Hey, they'll pay you to go door to door and convince people to get a free estimate and they'll pay you a good amount of money just to convince them to get a free estimate. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, well, that, that sounds awesome. <clears throat> you know, the going rate in this industry is, you know, two, $250 a lead. I was like, man, I could get 10 people a day. I, I was doing the math in my head. I mean, I'm, I'm 17, <laughs> 18 years old. I was like, I am going to make $10,000 a week. And yeah. uh, it turns out it is, it is not that easy. Um, you know, if you get 10 to 12 a month, you're decent, you know, um, but I did that for three years. So I canvassed for three years after my first year, I became a field manager, which is a, um, glorified bus driver in your own vehicle. So, uh, you take other canvassers out to neighborhoods because at 17 or 18, you're deemed slightly more responsible than the other 17 and 18 year olds. Um, and then I did that for a few years while I went to um, Towson University. 
I uh, got my bachelor's degree in business management uh, with a concentration in um, marketing and HR. And the whole time, like the the last year or two that I was canvassing, so most of the time that I was canvassing, the owners of New Look um, were trying to convince me to go into sales. I was like, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> I am very happy where I am. I mean, I was making $40,000 a year working Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. and and Saturday, 10 to 1. I mean, I was I was very happy. I bought a house when yeah, I was- Life 25. was good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I don't, I, this recipe is, is perfect. I don't want to mess this up. Um, and frankly, I was a little nervous. I was nervous about changing something. You know, I had never really done sales before. I had seen a lot of turnover in canvassing. And um, I was just, again, I was happy and very glad that I went into sales. I finished my degree and I felt like I had enough bandwidth, no, no distraction. So went into sales and um, I was not very good at the beginning. <laughs> it was, I remember the owner of the company told me one time, he's like, hey man, I'm not sure you're going to make it. And I was like, thank you for saying that because that's the fire <laughs> that I need to do this. And um, the owner of the company at the time was the sales manager. And I was in sales for about nine months. And um, it got to the point where I, I would, you know, after two or three months, I kind of got the hang of it. As uh, the first month or two, I wasn't great at it. But I started to really excel at closing. My closing percentage was much higher than the rest of the sales team. You know, we, we used to consider 30, 33% good. And at this point um, in my career at this organization, that's failing. 30, 33% is, is not good. Uh, I'm not going to give you a company leads at that rate. And um, so I started closing. It was around 50%. Um, and the senior people on the team, they started asking me, what are you doing? I was like, I've been asking you how to do this for nine months <laughs> and I get no <laughs> feedback. And then all of a sudden you want some tips from me. And um, they, I think the key to my success was uh, really just relating to everybody, everybody. And, uh, you know, the owner of the company gave me some good advice. I was so young at the time, it was hard to relate to people. You know, I'm, I'm 21, talking to somebody that's 50 about how they should invest their money in their home. And they're looking at me like, hey, you know, kid, I, I've been to Vietnam and my children are older than you. How am I taking advice from you <laughs> on how to invest in my home? And um so I started reading a lot, lots of news articles, just wanted to get myself, quote unquote, you know, worldly. Um, but I can relate to just so many people. And I would stay in home for three and four hours. Wow. And the sales team used to tease me. They're like, what are you doing in there? I'm like, half of the time I'm talking about roofing, half of the time I'm talking about them or their hobbies or their interests, how I think those are interesting. And I don't need to know everything about their hobbies, but I need to know enough to ask some intelligent questions and, and to understand it. So after nine months, I got promoted to the assistant sales manager under the owner, um, then to the sales manager, and then myself and my business partner, who was the quote unquote marketing manager at the time, which was Canvas manager, right? That was the only marketing we had. <laughs> um, yeah. We started killing it. I mean, he had 25 canvassers. I had 12 salespeople. We're putting up a million dollars in canvas revenue a month with little to no corporate marketing. And so wow. they shipped us down to Northern Virginia 
Uh, we opened a new office down there. And uh, I'm now very good at opening new offices, but we weren't then. Um, the build out for the office was six months behind. I worked for six months out of my very small, very crappy apartment. And I was doing interviews in my apartment on my couch. My, my wife, my, we were just dating at the time. She's walking around. My dog's jumping on the candidate. I'm like, I swear to God, this is a real job. You're, you're <laughs> get a paycheck. This and, is a real company, yeah. Yeah, and so um, uh, from there, um, we took two of our best reps. We uh, launched them up to New Jersey, and those are the three offices we have. And then after those were doing well, you know, Maryland, where we started, Fairfax, where I went to, and uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which was our latest office, I got a promotion to the sales director position. So I moved back home, and um, you know, now I oversee um, the retail sales in all three offices. Yeah, ex explain to, to, to just to our listeners the difference in classification when you say retail sales. Sure. So. Um, we started out as retail sales. And what that means is when somebody is interested in replacing something, it's because I've uh, either someone knocked on the door and said, Hey, you know, your windows are single pane or they're wood, or they're just not energy efficient or your roof is old. Would you care to get a free estimate on upgrading your home? And, you know, they, they eventually say yes. And they let you give them a free estimate to do so. And they're going to pay for that out of pocket either by financing or using a check or credit card or cash. And the other department that we have is insurance restoration. So in insurance restoration, you are um, tracking storm data um, and you are informing homeowners of potential uh, damage uh, to the roof, siding, you know, other exterior uh, components of their home from hail and wind damage. And then you would do an inspection either up on the roof or, you know, siding on the ground. And if they have hail or wind damage, you help them through filing an insurance claim. And really they're only out of pocket at that point is their deductible and then any upgrades they'd like to make above and beyond, you know, the quality or the scope that the insurance company provides. Yeah. And so how do you differentiate the two type of, uh, I call them both sales reps, uh, two differing degrees, right? But how, what is the difference uh, from an approach with a homeowner or maybe even training or any of that as it relates to the two different segments? So one thing I'd like to say, it might, might cause a little controversy here. One of the best salespeople I know, she is running uh, the insurance division in Maryland. So I, I want to start out for all of our insurance reps by saying I, I very much respect insurance. <laughs> um, but uh, I do very much like to tease in the same instance that it's it's hard to call it selling when it's free, right? Hey, you can either give me $20,000 of your hard-earned money, sign here, or I'll get you a free roof, sign here, right? Um, I mean, all, all kidding aside, there's a tremendous amount of sales involved in insurance. Um, but the way that we differentiate is, you know, if it's an inbound lead, we do some really light scrubbing in the call center, you know, looking for some trigger words. 90% of our inbound goes to retail, 10% that called in for retail ends up going to insurance. Uh, but 90% of the insurance business is, is driven by those insurance restoration experts canvassing for their leads. Gotcha. So if you're in insurance, sense. you're knocking on doors and you're getting up on a roof to do an inspection. If you're in retail yeah. sales, you're driving your personal vehicle to the customer's home. 
you're at the kitchen table, but you're probably there for three hours trying to convince them to give you $20,000. Yeah. Chad, you bring up an interesting point there, personal mm -hmm. vehicle. Uh, and, and we're going to get to this here in a second, but uh, I imagine unless folks have trucks, like, are, are you carrying a ladder to the, to the home? Not in retail sales. Yeah. No, in insurance. Be sure. You have to, you got a 32 foot extension ladder on top of a company vehicle, retail sales, you're driving your own vehicle. It could be a Honda civic, you know, something fuel efficient. Yeah. And Chad, I imagine that that's because you're leveraging a plethora of different technology where, where you're not necessarily needing to get up on, on a roof or, you know, to inspect it. That's, yeah, that's correct. So, um, you know, I've been, I've been working for New Look for 15 years this August, and um, I, it is totally and unconditionally unnecessary to get on a roof, to sell a roof in retail sales. Totally unnecessary. Um, the technology that we use to get very accurate measurements, the technology we use to provide 3D rendering, provide instant bids, you know, on-site contracts and, and credit approvals. Um, you know, I carry some bits and pieces, you know, I have a sales kit that has, you know, the shingles, the underlayment, the accessories in it. So they get to feel it and they get to visualize it, but we don't need to be up there to see what a shingle looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, yeah, uh, gosh, I want to say 20 years ago, probably like 15 years ago or 10 years ago, even when I was selling and uh, still getting up there on, on the roofs. And I think that's because my foundation was in tearing off the roofs. You know, I'm used to getting on these like 12, 12 <laughs> cedar shake, you know, three, four layer roofs. And, uh, so I felt like Spider-Man up there and it's funny, the older I got, the more I'm like, nah, I don't want to get up there. <laughs> like, yeah. That doesn't look, it doesn't look safe. There's a lot of liability up there. And I think if your background is coming from projects managing or from installing, you know, you might scratch your head at a salesperson that says you don't need to get up there. But I mean, how hard is it to tell that a 20-year-old three-tab shingle needs to be replaced? Could it go two or three more years? I'm sure. Um, if you replace it with a lifetime architectural, are you ever going to replace it ever again? No. So you can continue to try to you know, squeeze water out of that rock. But if you go to buy a roof in, in 2021, it's going to be less expensive than in 2023. So why wait? Yeah. You know, especially with some of the really nice financing options. They have you can delay payments delay interest give them really low monthly payments i mean financing is a is an amazing solution to timing objections when you're in the house and if you're not offering financing uh you need to get yourself out of 1998 and and come into 2021 uh, i'm waiting for people to start taking venmo for roofing you just you have to make it easy for people to pay yeah. Are you accepting Bitcoin yet as payment? <laughs> no. I, Elon <laughs> Musk reached out to me, but I, I'm still I'm still uh, waiting on that. One Bitcoin, uh, it's 40 grand. There you go. Crazy, right? It pays for, yeah. pays for your uh, your home improvement. Uh, do, you, do you ever get uh, questions from homeowners like, yeah, you didn't even go on the roof. You know, how do you how do you know, you know, what it's going to cost or what needs to be done or, you know, what one guy told me I've got some soft plywood. Like, how do you overcome some of those objections? Yeah. So, well, um, plywood separate, but the rest of it, yeah. When I, I show up, like I drive a, a, a Nissan Pathfinder, right. It's got a roof rack on it, but you know, one that came from the dealership, not one for a ladder. Yeah. And, you know, I'll get out with, um, you know, some comfortable tennis shoes, some khakis and a, and a, you know, new look button down and a backpack with my laptop in it. And, you know, sometimes people say that to me, I I'm finding it far less often nowadays, far less often. 
And, you know, one of the things that um, uh, we find that's very important is transparency. And we talk about that in both the form of measurements as well as pricing. So when I knock on your door, Tom, the very first thing that I do is obviously introduce myself, right? I got company logo on. I tell you my name. You, you already know my name. You already seen my picture because the call center emailed you to let you know who's coming. But I would say to you, hey, listen, you know, we're going to use a piece of technology here today. We take a few photos on the outside of the home. Um, those photos will generate a 3D image. Um, and that way you can see what your home looks like with the new shingle on there. And secondly, and equally as important, it's going to give me measurements down to the inch. Um, and this report will take 45 minutes to come back. So in the meantime, you know, we're going to talk about the company. We're going to talk about the products. We're going to talk about financing. And then right about when I'm finished that conversation, the measurements will come back. And then I'll give you a written quote. And we'll go through it line by line. And since that, that introduction of that piece of technology, and then secondly, the introduction in our sales pitch to, hey, you guys set that expectation immediately and out of the gate before they have the opportunity to say, you know, hey, where's your, where's your ladder? Um, I, that, that's happening 0% of the time now. Plywood, I mean, you know, even if I get on the roof, I'm going to jump around on it to see where the soft spots are. I mean, you know, if it's, I weigh 200 pounds, man, if it's three inch plywood, it all feels spongy. So, you know, we give the customers an allowance for plywood and we, we put a lot of time and energy into calculating how many sheets we should give for free. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's all baked into our pricing, right? It's all t in consideration, but yeah. for every homeowner that signs a contract, they get a certain amount of sheets that they will not have to pay for. And then above and beyond those amounts of sheets, they will start paying per sheet out of pocket. And the, the quantity that we determine covers 90% of our customers. So the project managers don't have to chase that plywood money 90% of the time. But it's funny, as soon as you give them, let's say you gave them seven sheets of plywood, now that eighth sheet still becomes the first sheet when you got to ask them, hey, man, I need $70. I need $100, you know, from a homeowner that just spent 20 grand. And if I could determine the amount of plywood ahead of time, I would open another company and it would be called Plywood Consulting. And I would interject my business directly between the consumer and the contractor right at the point of contract and say, hey, let me give you a certified quantity of plywood you'll need. It's just, you don't have a crystal ball. So you can't, getting on the roof is somebody telling you, hey, you got a couple of spongy spots. I don't know. I take that to the bank. You know, maybe you do, um, but is it more than that? Is it less than that? So little to none at this point in time when people are asking me, you know, why aren't you getting on the roof? You, you just talk to them about liability and technology and they're, they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I can't believe I let the last guy on there. Like, yeah, I can't believe you let yeah. him on there either. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I want to continue this kind of discussion about some best practices for in-home selling. And you mentioned transparency, which is, uh, you know, crucial. Um, but you know, uh, you and I had also spoken earlier about, uh, about how to build a stronger contract. So love for mm -hmm. you to, to share a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you are signing a contract in somebody's home, um, you know, the federal government created the door to door sales act, um, which gives people three business days. And in Maryland, they extended that to five business days and seven, if you're over 65. And there's a reason these laws exist, right? They're called cooling off periods. And so, you know, cancellation is, is challenging, right? You paid for the lead, the customer paid you, they got finance approved or they paid with cash and then they cancel their contract. It's, it's like the, the largest 
thing you could lose, right? It's the um, biggest loss. So when, when you are inevitably giving people a, a discount, um, you're looking for things to exchange, right? So if I'm a salesperson, what are things that I, that I would like, right? The customer says, well, Chad, you're at 18. If, if you were at 15, I would do it today. Okay, well, if I'm going to give you $3,000, frankly, what do I get in return for it other than your business today? So some ways to make uh, a stronger contract, um, you know, I'm looking for a review at the point of sale, not a promise for it later, at the point of sale. If you go onto Google and you memorialize your experience with me today while we're sitting here and I see it pop up on Google and I'll say, Tom, thank you for the kind words. It's a little less likely that you're going to change your mind later. Secondly, I'm help promoting my business. I'm help generating more inbound leads, especially digital. Um, and I'm going to get some referrals. You know, people that refer their friends and family are, are um, you know, they're, they're a little bit more committed. Uh, if I'm going to give you $3,000, I want a little bit of cash down. Uh, you know, a little bit of skin in the game. I, I'm more than happy to finance the project for you. You know, we 80% of our contracts are financed. But in that contract, how much could you put down comfortably? You know, get, get a real true commitment to it. Um, and then I think going back to transparency and tying it into how to make a stronger contract. If customers don't understand how to measure a roof, you need to show them. If customers don't understand what are the line items that are going into the roof and the quantities of each of those line items, you need to show them. Right. I, I'm not taking my car to the dealership and picking it up later, and they say, hey, we fixed everything. It was $1,200, pay us. And I say, okie dokie, I, I wanna know, all right, well, what did you fix? And how much was each item? I'm not, I'm not gonna like shop each one, but was, did you replace two tires or four tires, right? Are, are you using not just the square count of the roofing, but how many feet of ridge vent, how many bundles of hip and ridge shingles, you know, how many feet of starter strip was in there? Going through that just gives people peace of mind. They're, they're nervous about making this decision. So everything you can do to be transparent about it and then get them to vocalize it. And then my favorite, Tom, at the very end, when you're done everything, when you've done everything we just talked about in terms of transparency and making your contract stronger, as a salesperson, I want you to do something that you'll probably say to me. I don't know if I feel comfortable doing that, right? Tom, we know that the, the, like the number one objection in this industry is, is getting other estimates, right? I'm going to get other, I'm going to get three specifically. It's not two, it's not right. five, it's three. Well, if I'm sitting with you and you decide not to get your other two estimates and sign a contract with me today, when I finish everything and everything's packed up, I want you to do something that we call giving back the win. I want you to stare your prospect in the face and I want you to say, Tom, you know, earlier you talked about getting three estimates and now you're not. Tell me, how does that make you feel? And you bring that, their objection back up. You know, salespeople don't want to do that. They want to stick their head in the sand and pray to the sales gods that a cancellation doesn't come in the next three to five business days. And then when it does, they're like, I can't believe that happened. We hit it off. Like they, they don't, <laughs> the homeowner doesn't care you hit it all, right? You bring their objection back up. And in that, you'll be able to tell the customer will say something along the lines of, well, you, you know what, Chad, I was going to get three quotes, but I mean, I, I, I was looking for you, 
right? I thought it would take getting three estimates to find you. You've told me everything about the product, your company, you got some of the best warranties. I can finance it with no money down. I know exactly what's going into my roof. I don't, this, this is tip top. I do not need to get two more estimates. If they say that to you, it's golden. If they say, well, you know what? Um, you know, you're really passionate about this and uh, I'm still a little nervous about moving forward. Then you, you got to pull it down and have a conversation with them about that. And if you can't get that thing moving forward, if you, if you can't convert that to the first thing I mentioned, as a salesperson, when you leave the lead, you call your sales manager and you tell them why you think your own deal will cancel. And your sales manager's got to help you out by giving a call to that customer the next morning and just another face, another name. How are you doing? How are you feeling? If you are not being in, out in front of your cancellations, they're going to be in the double digits. Yeah. Do, do you guys do anything as far as, uh, um, I'm thinking like, you know, the, the customer's experience, are you sending them like a handwritten note? Are you, what are you doing to, with that customer to kind of keep them, you know, with that warm and fuzzy feeling? <laughs> immediate contact from your production department, immediate contact. So as soon as the salesperson finishes their job, a, again, the customer memorialized it online. The next day, thank them for that, right? You can use apps like Podium where you can solicit reviews and then after they leave it in the app, which it's awesome, by the way, gamifies reviews for salespeople. And then you can thank them in the app. Thank you so much for a review. We look forward to completing your project for you. And then your office manager or your, or your project coordinator or whomever is going to start the production process is calling them the next day. And some business owners were like, well, they still, they still can cancel. I don't want to spend labor hours. Um, okay, sit on your hands, close your eyes, cross your fingers, right? That's a great business strategy, I guess. Or be proactive, get out in front of them. And if they have concerns, address them before. You know, once per someone convinces themselves they're not moving forward, it's harder to reconvince them to move forward, right? It's like uh, saving an airplane that's going down, man. Let, let's start immediately trying to save this thing and not wait till it's uh, nose down, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I wanted to, to switch a little bit here as you, you know, you're uh, managing sales, but you're also out there selling as well. Um, talk to me a little bit more about kind of uh, being a selling sales manager and what that's like. Sure. So for, um, you know, the 15 years that I've worked here, um, and I've been in management, either a sales manager or the sales director. And a majority of those 10 years, I would sell and I would go in the house, but infrequently, 10, 20 leads a year. And I would only go in the house if, if a rep is struggling and I'm trying to help them, or if I might be parting ways with somebody and I just want to make sure that I've done everything that I can do. And it's usually wait too long. So when you know COVID hit, um, a lot a lot of things changed for a lot of people, and uh, for me, I had to get back out in the field and start selling. Everybody that could generate revenue had to, and so you know March of 2020, I start running leads again, and I'm running them you know 20, 30 leads a month, uh, while while managing an office and while while directing the retail sales department, which that, that was frankly a little too much. Um, 20, 30 leads is, is probably 
a little more double than where a sales manager should be. You just don't have the bandwidth to tackle all your other responsibilities. But Tom, I'm telling you, man, that like day one, I make all the same mistakes the sales team does. I mean, all of them. Yeah. My contracts aren't great, right? I'm not putting in my sales results. My own office manager is reaching out to me like, hey, I know you talked to the sales team about not doing this, but you you kind of did it. So I don't know what to do because you're my boss. Yeah. <laughs> It was the most humbling experience because um, I just became further and further disconnected from sales. I'm a good salesperson. Um, and, and literally for my career, my closing percentage in this industry is 50%. And that counts one-leggers and um, no pitches. I mean, it's all in, 50%. And it's funny to just bench your top player. It's it's funny to expect your sales manager to, to be able to uh, adapt, to evolve your sales process. Um, you can do that from behind a desk. And I, I mean, I did it successfully for a number of years, also did it unsuccessfully for a couple of years, but you get out there and immediately, I mean, Tom, I'm like, we are not doing these six things. And I also apologize for asking you to do them. <laughs> immediately stop and please accept my apology. They are not good ideas. And, you know, three or four other ideas pop up. Like, hey man, listen, I said this the other day and it worked really well. And the team's like, whoa, okay, let's try it. Let's talk about it. And some teammates would be like, I tried it and it was super duper awkward. All right, let's go in house together. Let's figure it out. I'm already out there. I'm already in house. Tag along with me. And I remember as a sales manager and anybody that's a sales manager knows that when they get texted a lead or they got to run a lead at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday and they got three kids like myself, you're like, Ugh. <laughs> I would I would rather manage from behind a desk today. Sure, sure, yeah. But you you get out there, man, and you just, you you, you reconnect. And I think one of the most important things, um, you know, I asked one of, one of our top reps, I said, hey man, is it is it awkward to compete with me? Like we're not competing for, for money, right? Like I can't, I'm, I don't have access to some of the components of compensation that they do. I can't take money from them, in other words. But like I'm putting up some big numbers um, and, and the sales rep was like, no, he's like, and he's been here for a few years. So he was here when I wasn't selling in, in, um, in-house. And he's like, no, man. He's like, it's awesome. Speed of the leader, speed of the team. He did say, he's like, I think you should probably run 10 to 15 leads. So you're a little more accessible for us sales reps that need to call you from house. I thought that was great feedback from him. And he's like, but man, when you're out there and you're telling us that we need to change something we're doing. And when you say you're doing it and I look at the sales board and you're closing at 50% and you're saying, this is why I'm closing at 50%. He's like, I'm doing it. Okay. I got no pushback. I'm doing it today. And that's very different from some stupid memo coming down from corporate that the sales manager looks at like, I guess I'll get the sales team to do this. And they don't even believe it. They've never even done it. So getting out there, I mean, you, you have to, and if your sales manager isn't, it's because they don't want to, or they can't. So as a business owner, you got to look yourself in your face and be like, is that the person I want leading my sales team? Um, that, is that the person I want going out on the battlefield? Um, I'm not very good on the battlefield and also don't want to go, but I'm going to order these 10 people to go. Yeah. You know, likelihood of success there is, is less, right? So yeah. sales managers that don't want to go out in the field, um, you know, I just, 
Think about the transition, the day that somebody gets promoted from salesperson to sales manager. All right, you were out in the field, you were an outside salesperson, and now you're behind a desk. It's, it's, it's a drastic shift. Keep them in the house, 10, 12 leads a month. Give them a quota to hit. They're your best salespeople. Naturally, business owners promote their best salespeople to management. Sometimes it's a good idea. Sometimes it's not. But don't, don't bench your star player. And, and I think you totally handicap them on creativity and evolving your sales process if they're not selling. Yeah, that's great. Great feedback. How, how has this affected the way that you train uh, you know, either existing sales reps or new sales reps as you know, from when you weren't you know, selling in the home consistently to today and now where you are in the home much more often? Part of this was because of um, uh, COVID and part of it was because of this shift, um, which, you know, when you uh, have to adapt and be nimble, right? Sometimes really cool things come from that. We used to put 10, 12 people in a training room, Tom, and I would stand there and bark at them for two weeks, nine to five. I had a beautiful PowerPoint built, handout, homework, quizzes, tests. I mean, it was robust and comprehensive. It was a thing of beauty from a classroom training standpoint. It was not a thing of beauty from an adult learning standpoint. I might as well just blast them in the face with a fire hose and ask them to take a drink. I mean, it was way too much. Yeah. And how do you give somebody all the tools to succeed in, in a classroom? It's just, frankly, it's just not realistic, right? Um, it would be like hiring somebody that just graduated college to run a major division in your company because they have a degree. A degree shows competency, but there's no experience behind it, right? So we dismantled our training program and I broke up our 10 steps uh, selling system into individual modules. And then separately, I have modules for operational components like contracts and financing and how to use some of our software. And I'll take them out in the field with me um, for two weeks, one-on-one. -on -one. And it has increased success drastically. The first week they're watching me pitch and they'll pitch one additional step in the sales process per day until they get to the end when they've pitched all of them. And then the next week I'm watching them pitch 10 leads. And I'm sitting there on my laptop in the house next to them and the homeowner just taking notes. And if the homeowner's like, why are two of you here? That guy's in training. I'm going to make sure that he gives you all some customer service because that's how much we care about quality at this company. And they get, they get really nice feedback from the lead afterwards. Um, the thing that, so that has been much more successful for the individual. It's also been tremendously more successful for us as, a, as an organization, because when you put 10 to 12 people in a, in a training room, you know that, that two of three people are not going to make it. And so now I got this big fat recruiting department stuffing 10 to 15 people in a classroom. And your sales manager starts to look at the way that they could increase their closing percentage is by firing people and hiring people, which is perhaps the most expensive way to fix low closing percentage. Not only did I waste yeah. the opportunity and I didn't sell it, now I got to fire that person, create turnover, open a requisition, pay a recruiting department, stuff this training room and start over. And so slowing down, I mean, the training that we have right now, it can only be one-on-one. -on -one, and I don't know that it'll change. I don't know that it won't. But I do know how many people are in the next training class. One, with me, <laughs> right? So I'm the sales manager yeah. in Maryland, as well as the sales director for the company. So 
you know, if I'm going to bring someone on in Maryland, I know that I've got to allocate all of the time to recruit them and hire them, which I'm very capable of doing. And I'm going to make that commitment when I need to do it, not because a recruiter said, hey, you got somebody in the class, make sure you train them up. So it's been awesome. Yeah. It's been an awesome change. And I yeah, do believe that's great. it is scalable because I can get people closing to 40 and 50% in, in 60 days, 90 days. And at that point, they either aren't making it and they're like, Chad, I'm so sorry for letting you down. This just isn't for me. Or they're like, thank you for this opportunity. It changed my life. It's not, you're fired. What? I was getting it, boss. Like, no, I was sitting there with you. You weren't getting it, right? <laughs> and so every 60, 90 days, I can bring somebody on. And, and it's, um, that is a, that's a decent pace to build an office. I mean, you don't normally have more than 10 people in an office in a territory at any given time. So, uh, you know, if you open an office up from scratch in, in two years, I got it built to a 10 man team putting up $12 million. Yeah, that's great. Uh, as we're getting close here to wrapping this up, um, you, what are some common mistakes you see new sales reps making? Um, they put a tremendous amount of effort and energy in studying the product because they're unfamiliar with it. And then because of that, they end up commoditizing themselves because all shingles are roughly the same. Sorry, Owens Corning. Sorry, GAF. Sorry, certainty. It's lifetime architectural shingles, not too different, right? So they put all this focus on the product because maybe they came from car sales or real estate or, you know, a waiter or waitress. Um, know your product, know it in and out. Um, but the biggest thing, the biggest mistake I see is, is, is failing to sell the service, right? There's a really big difference between Chuck and the truck putting a roof on and me. How do you quantify qualitative aspects of what you're providing? And then beyond that, dropping price too quick, man. Don't drop price unless they gave you a price commitment. I mean, seriously, don't ever do it. Don't ever discount your project until they have told you, I thought it would be here. And because of how awesome you are, I'm willing to add 20% on top of that. Okay, now, now I can start dropping price. Yeah. Yep. Good. Uh, that's great advice. Um, or, or I should say great insight. My next question is what kind of advice, my, my last question for you, what kind of advice can you give the folks that are listening, uh, that are in sales or aspire to be in sales? Do you tell them, tell them just stop? <laughs> <laughs> if you're aspiring to be in sales, don't do it. <laughs> um, no, I think it's an awesome career. I think that people, um, you know, they, they, you got to be money motivated. You've got to like to look at that sales board and that gamification of those numbers has got to, got to drive you, right? You got to be a people person. You don't have to be extroverted, but you got to be able to relate to people. Um, so, you know, if you're thinking about doing, um, doing sales, do it, but go all in, all in 110% in, you can't, you can't hold, I'm going to do this at night and do that during the day. You got to go all in. And for the other salespeople, like the people that are in sales that are listening, I, I mean this sincerely. If your sales manager is not out in the field with you, find a new job. Uh, the best piece of advice I can give you, if they won't go out and help you sell, they won't go out and ride with you unless their manager demands it, work somewhere else. That's the best piece of advice I can give you. Yeah. Yeah, find a, a sales manager that will, right? That, that's going to help you and it's going to get out there and, and is doing what they're saying. Yeah, otherwise you're just, you're, you're, you're 
bringing home numbers to someone that's managing from behind a desk that's telling you to do things that they're not willing to do. It's, it's almost bizarre in hindsight. Yeah. Right? So you want that Absolutely. support. They should be right next to you. Man, let's go to battle. Let's figure this thing out. I'm going to help you make $150,000 this year. Not, I hope you do it. And when you come back and you weren't successful, I'm going to tell you all the reasons why I think you weren't successful. That doesn't help. Yeah. Well, hey, Chad, this has been great. Uh, we're up against some time here, but uh, I want to thank you for coming on and, and appreciate the insight that you've been able to share uh, with our listeners. So thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Tom. Well, that'll do it for today's show. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode of Leaps and Bounds. If you did, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review and subscribe to the podcast. We look forward to bringing you more exclusive conversations with some of the most successful home improvement leaders. If you're interested in learning more about Leap, be sure to check us out at leapdigital.com or follow us on our social channels. Until next time, see ya.